Oh, I'm excited this morning. I, I got up this morning. I, you can ask Kim. I was being a goober running around the house singing just in this up mood. I said, I don't know what's going to happen today, but God is going to do something. I feel it in my spirit. And so it's exciting. We're glad that you're here. Glad of those of you that are joining us online. You know, we talked this morning about Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is an interesting time, right? I mean, there's all these different family dynamics and all the things that come into play with Thanksgiving. And it's a time of family gatherings. And, and uh, I was thinking about that, that some of the most cherished memories are making the trip to spend time at my grandparents' house when I was a kid for Thanksgiving. There were some great memories of, of playing football out in the yard with my cousins and just hanging out and just that family time together. And then after we got married, many times we'd spend Thanksgiving at Kim's grandparents' house. And that was kind of the, the hub that everybody got together. And many of those people have gone on now. And, and it's kind of weird when all of a sudden you stare and you look, look around and you're like, oh, all of a sudden we're the hub. They were old when they did that. I'm not old. I don't, you know, I don't know how that happens. But Thanksgiving is one of those things that can bring very many different family dynamics. And it kind of reminds me of a, a story I heard uh, a few years back that I just think was hilarious. And basically, this, this father picks up the phone and he calls his oldest son. And, he, and his son answers the phone. And he says, son, I just want you to know that your mom and I are getting divorced. 45 years of misery is enough. And the son just, what? And the son says, hold on, don't do anything. So, so he hangs up and, and, the, and the son immediately calls his older sister and says, since you're not going to believe the phone call that I got today, mom and dad are ready to call it quits. And the, and the daughter says, oh no, that's not happening. You, you Don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. And so pretty soon the phone rings back again and it's the daughter on the line. And she goes, you guys are not getting divorced. This is crazy, this is stupid. Don't do anything until we get there. We will see you tomorrow. Husband says, okay. He hangs up the phone. He turns around to his wife and says, okay, I took care of it, honey. The kids are coming for Thanksgiving tomorrow, and they're paying their own way. (laughs) But besides just the holiday, there is something, as we've talked about this morning, about being thankful. Matter of fact, in having a thankful heart, Psalms 104 Verse 4 says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Talk about a prescription. I mean, based on this verse, we can say that really, literally, thanksgiving is the ticket to get in the door. Let that sink in for a moment. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Now, he's not talking about with a tray with a turkey on it. He's talking about a thankful heart, that we approach God with a thankful heart and a right spirit. It opens the door to so many things. We have, we have thanked him this morning. We have praised him this morning. And if you, and if you look at it, I mean... I don't want to be like those, like the Israelites of old on that time that God spoke to them from the mountain. And they went to Moses and said, look, you go talk to him and you come back and tell us what he says, but don't have him speak to us like that again. I, I never want to have the voice of God silent in my life. So this morning, I want you to hold on to this. We should desire God's presence to be active in our lives, and a thankful heart is the ticket in the door. So thanksgiving, it's the ability to give thanks to God, and it's missing from so many people today. And I was thinking about that. Why is that? Why is it that we've lost this ability to be thankful? And I believe it's because many of us have allowed barriers to be erected in our lives and in this world that block a thankful heart. Have you ever noticed that there are some people that nothing is ever good enough? 
You can do the greatest thing for them, and they're going to find some issue with it. How that wasn't good enough. That didn't measure up. And, it's, and we've, we can get caught up in all those attitudes and things. That as a result, our blessings, our spiritual rewards are stolen because we cease to have a thankful heart. Our goal literally should be the verses that I read this morning to start the service. 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14, it says, Indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were done to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord that when they had lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, For he is good, his mercy endures forever, that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his his house what started that thanksgiving and praise those are the things that started that right on the hill this they i mean they had built the temple they had they were getting ready to to institute all the things that god wanted them to do and god showed up in a powerful way i don't know about you but i would love to see the day that all of a sudden this room is filled with such a cloud of the lord that we can't have church as usual They entered his gates with thanksgiving and church as usual was interrupted by the Holy Spirit of the living God. So I was thinking about that. My mind went to three thanksgiving barriers because I was concerned about the lack of thanksgiving that we see in so many people's lives. I realize we're coming off of a very, very, very rough year, but there are still lots of things to be thankful for. Yes, there's some battles that we fought, but I was talking to Kim and some friends just the other night about how that yet, though for us, there, there were still incredible blessings that happened in our life, even during all this stuff that, was, that we've been facing. So what? So three things that can steal our heart of thanksgiving. And it literally can rob us of those encounter God moments. Number one, I'm calling it the wall of comparison. The what about them mentality. See, comparison is an interesting barrier. It can rob us of thankfulness as quick as anything. Isn't it interesting that out of the thousands and thousands of options, this thief comes and he causes us to focus on the few that have it better than us. And we overlook the hundreds more that have it worse than us. We get so focused on the ones that look like they got it a little bit better and we forget about all those that are much worse off than us and we, don't, and we fail to have a thankful heart towards the things that, that God has blessed us with compared to so many other people we know. We focus on the few that have a little bit more than what we have. The wall of comparison. So I thought about that. Thought about John 21, verse 21 and 22. It says, As Peter, Peter seeing him said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Think about that. I mean, this this. Wall of comparison happens. It all starts with this idea, well, what about him? I want you to look at what what was transpiring at that moment to kind of set the scene. Peter had denied Christ three times. Jesus had been crucified, laid in the tomb, and rose again on the third day. And hundreds and hundreds upon hundreds of people had witnessed that he was indeed resurrected. He was indeed alive. But this was the first moment that that Jesus really had a time of intimacy in a sense of of a small gathering with his disciples to spend time with them. And he uses part of that time. If you know, if you remember the story, they had gone fishing and they had caught nothing and they were headed back towards the shore just like the whole thing started. And Jesus and them, not knowing as him, said, go out and throw your nets on the other side. They this huge catch. They're coming back, and they realize that it's Jesus, and he already has breakfast ready for them on the beach. And so they come back, and they're having this time. And so he pulls Peter aside, 
And I love to me, this is such a beautiful picture of the intimacy and the love that Christ has for his people. Because he knew, because you know good and well, Peter was just torn up on the inside because he had denied knowing Jesus three times. And I'm not going to get into all the original wording of it because there's a whole other thing we could teach on that. But all I want to point out is this. I think it's beautiful that Jesus pulled Peter aside. You denied me three times. I'm going to give you three chances to tell me how much you love me. And he restores him. And then Jesus begins to tell begins to talk to Peter about how he's going to use him to build his church and so many things is going to happen. But he kind of alludes to some of the suffering that Peter's going to have to endure for his sake. And it's almost as if right in that moment, Peter looks over and points back at John and says, what about him? And I love Jesus. What is that to you? You must follow me. I mean, he is just hitting comparison right in the head, right on that spot and in that moment. See, Jesus already told him that he would be the rock on which the church would be built. Later, Peter, where we know, would give the altar call on the day of Pentecost that 3,000 people would give their life to Christ. Man, I would love to have that day that I get to preach that sermon and 3,000 people give their life to Christ. But when Jesus refers to the future about the things that he's going to have to face in his kingdom, all of a sudden the comparison raises his ugly head. Now we know that Peter means rock and that Jesus had changed that. We know, uh, <clears throat> but we also know in Scripture that before that his name was Simon or Cephas. One of the Greek, Greek meanings for the word Simon is snub-nosed as in stubborn. In Aramaic, the Greek word in Aramaic, the word Cephas literally means a cackling hyena or one who speaks rashly without knowledge. Does that not describe Peter perfectly? Now we know later that he would get his name changed. We know that he had that incredible moment. I mean, when when, when Jesus said, "I'm going to change your name to Peter," which means rock. Think about this. What did he do? Peter was the one when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter, in a moment of clarity, speaks up and says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. He says, from now on, you will be called Peter. Think about this. He literally had a name change from snub nose cackling hyena to Rocky. Right in that moment. What's interesting, though, is even following that moment, you can see, I love doing this. I did this one time. Sit down, and I pulled up all the times in Scripture that he was called Peter or when he was called Simon or even Cephas, depending on your translation. And it was interesting that there seems to be a correlation between his behavior and what Jesus called him. It's kind of a kind of interesting little study. I mean, I haven't put together a whole sermon on it, but it was interesting to see that, that at times when it seemed like he was full of, full of faith, it was Peter. And then at other times, it's like, Simon, Simon. How many know we all have those moments? But yet, this, he has this moment that he, that he begins to, to do this thing of comparison, and we all do the same thing. But look at, I want you to look at this. I want you to look at this whole idea. But Peter wasn't the only one that had this comparison problem. We see that it was kind of prevalent in even some of the inner workings of the disciples. Think about the time that, that, literally think about the time that James and John's mom pulls Jesus aside and says, Hey, I want my boys to be seated on your right and your left. Almost like a little sidebar trying to get them a little closer. We know at other times they were literally arguing among themselves over who was going to be the greatest in his kingdom. Now think about that for a moment. 
Here they are. They're on the inner circle of the Messiah that left heaven to come and set the world free. That his church was going to be built. And they were the inner part of that. They were the inner workings. Every one of them's names were going to be remembered for eternity. Scripture tells us that there are going to be 12 thrones that they sit on. And God's going to do amazing things. I mean, God is with them. And they had that deal. And yet they're concerned over one-upping each other a little bit. comparison I mean I don't know about you but that was a pretty good inner circle to be in but the truth is we do the same thing I'll be honest at times I catch myself comparing to what God's doing in somebody else's life we all do it it's part of it there are times that I get frustrated There are times I look at people that I know that are in ministry and friends and and I see what God's doing in them and I see their churches growing and I see them building new buildings and I see all these things taking place and a part of me wants to point and say, Lord, what about them? But you know what happens when we do that? The enemy is causing me to look at the few that have it better than I do and overlook the thousands of pastors that are struggling just to keep the doors of the church open, that have people that are they're fighting against you know, all kinds of things, antagonistic boards and, and all these difficulties, and they're struggling and everything. And, and, and it's easy for me to forget actually how good I have it. Because there's such unity in this church. You guys are like family. I mean, our lives are really pretty good. And so I can't get caught up in that comparison thing with somebody else. I have to remind myself to go back and say, you know what? God, you used me. God, we were at a a bigger church at a very comfortable position. And there was a church in faith that was about to close the doors because of some issue that happened. And for whatever reason, Lord, you handpicked us to go and to try to bring life back into that, to bring some stability to that. And then here there was a place that was about to close its doors and they lost their passion. And you merged the two. So, Lord, you really used me to help stabilize two churches and bring them back to life. That's something you did. The miracles that happened to get us where we are, I can't get so focused on somebody else that I forget what you've done in my life and be thankful for that and every one of us are in that same boat on different levels it's so easy to look at that other person we see those snapshot Facebook moments where it looks like their life is perfect and we forget that that was one of 60 shots that were took that happened to turn out right we say Lord I want that what about them? Don't you know that he says, what does that have to do with you? We need to look back. There's always those that struggle much, much more than we do. We need to be thankful for what he does bless us with. My, I really try to live in that place. Lord, if you choose to use me in anything, it is more than I deserve. And Lord, I am thankful for what you choose to do. I'm thankful for the blessings that you give me. Let me not get caught up in the eye of comparison. But we see it sometimes all through the church. We see people that get envious over somebody else in some position in the church, and they think, I could do that better than that. Maybe so. But here's the thing I love about God. When God puts somebody in a position, that position is just as much for them as it is for the position of the people they'll influence because God uses those that he picks and he calls in whatever role he puts to them because he is working out something in their life. We get caught up looking for the Saul's when, David, when God says, I'm looking for the David's. We need to stop the comparison and let thanksgiving return to our hearts. Because what he says is, trust me, I'm working something out in you. It's all a matter of trust. See, I just thank God for that. What did Jesus say? What is he saying to us? What is their situation to you? You must follow me. 
But the wall of comparison has a close front runner that usually follows it. And that's the trap of envy. If we continue to let comparison have its way in our hearts, we soon become envious of what somebody else has. There's an old fable about an eagle. I mean, we know eagles can soar and they can fly high. They're some of the most majestic birds. But this particular eagle was envious of another eagle that could fly higher than he could. And in this fable, this eagle sees a hunter one day, and he swoops down and he has a conversation with the hunter, and he says, you know what? He says, I want you to do me a favor, mighty hunter. I want you to shoot that eagle down. The hunter looks at the eagle and he says, you know, he goes, I'd love to. He said, but... One of the things my arrows need to miss the mark is they need some really good feathers to stabilize that arrow and help my aim. If you'll give me some feathers, I will shoot that eagle down. The eagle said, that's a good idea. So the hunter grabs a couple of feathers and puts them on his arrow. And so some days go by, and, and occasionally he takes a shot. and boy, I mean, he just barely misses. And so he convinces the eagle to give him more feathers. But the day comes that the eagle can't even fly as high as he used to. And then one day he shows up and the hunter is drawing back his bow and he turns and he shoots the one he can reach. See, we can let our envy get to the point because when we envy to the point that we're wishing destruction on somebody else, we're the ones that get hurt in the process. The one that gets hurt by our actions is always ourself. You know, we find, we can find one day that envy gets us to the point that we can no longer even fly to the heights we used to fly. We're no longer an eagle, we're a yard bird. Numbers 12, 1 and 2 says this, that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married the Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And here's the kicker. And the Lord heard it. Uh Uh-oh. We need to realize when we have those attitudes, the Lord hears it. Now, this story's always kind of intrigued me because you have Miriam, the, the sister of Moses, Aaron, the brother of Moses. I mean, these are people that, that God was using. In the Torah, in, in Jewish tradition, they referred to Miriam as being a prophetess. So you had the high priest that God used and the prophetess, and they were jealous and envious of the one person that had a slightly higher position than them when they were right there under him and everybody else in Israel was under them. (laughs) And this idea that he had married this Ethiopian woman was just enough fuel to push them over the edge. You know, the interesting thing to me that hit me was that was racism raising its ugly head then, that they didn't like the fact that he married who he married. And so you had that going on. And, and this high priest and the prophet, and, and you know, how many know that it's, it's okay? That they were in a position that had Moses done something where he was completely out of bounds, had Moses done something where there was sin in his life, it would have been okay for them to pull him aside and call him on that. But he hadn't sinned. They just let this envy get in the way. And all of a sudden, they were envious of the man that was acting under the clear authority of God himself. Numbers, 12, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says this. And this gives you insight of how false their thoughts were. Now the man Moses was very humble. More than all who were on the face of the earth. That's who they were envious of? Well, doesn't God speak through us too? 
See, Scripture gives us no indication that God had any issue with who Moses married. God was still using him. And so why did they do it? Maybe Miriam thought that her position was challenged by his wife. Or, or can you, but you can't imagine having an issue with Moses? Now, I don't know about you, but I've served under some pretty incredible pastors. And I don't care who you are or who you're serving under or who you're part of their ministry. At some point, they're going to make a decision that you don't like. That's okay. I had times with, I mean, I mean, one of the pastors I served under for 10 years loved the man and his family. He is now the assistant superintendent of the Assemblies of God, period. But guess what? There was still some decisions he made that was like, eh, I don't know about that. But you know what? It didn't involve sin, so it was not my place to question. He was accountable to God, not me. And we need to, if, you know, if there's sin in the camp, absolutely deal with it. But other than that, we better take a little bit of the approach of David. It's, you know what, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. But all of a sudden we see this and we see this happen and, 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 and they, give, they give all kinds of excuses. And, and, and if we're not careful we, can be caref- we can be capable of entering into the same position, become envious of somebody else and, and have an agenda and try to bring somebody down that God is trying to use and that's dangerous ground to be on. It's funny how that many times, you know, Somebody can do that ministry better than them, and most of the time it's self in our minds. Better be careful of that. You know, so how does God see their envious attitude in this moment? Boy, talk about some in-your-face scripture. Numbers chapter 12, 4 through 8. And once the, at once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. I don't know about you, that's not a call I want to get. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And then both of them stepped forward. He said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. When I speak to him, I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Talk about a come to Jesus morning moment. The rest of the story is when his presence departed, Miriam found herself white with leprosy. I think God was making a point. Great thing is, Moses prayed for them. God took that away, but said, you are now unclean for seven days. You have to stay outside of the camp. See, we have to be careful with letting envy raise up its ugliness. We need to remain in awe of anything God allows us to do. We don't need to be comparing. We don't need to be envious with anybody else or how God's using them. Just the fact that God would use us in anything ought to have us on our face before him, bowing down and saying, Lord, I am so thankful that you chose to do anything through me. Which leads me to the last one this morning. The barrier of bitterness. Sometimes we need to get past our past. We talk about this comparison and envy and all these things. But the third one, left alone to flourish, can change us into a person who has lost all joy because we are so consumed and so filled with bitterness that that is all we can see. Everything becomes bitter. Everything is distasteful. Nothing is ever enough. I mean, I'm hurt, so I'm going to hurt everybody else. We see this today in life all around us. 
Many holding on to the bitterness from the past towards people in their present that has nothing to do with their original offense. Newsflash, if you're bitter, you can't be thankful. One of the most beautiful stories in the Bible is the story of Esther. Now this story, and I'm getting to this for a reason, this story reads like some Hollywood blockbuster. I mean, you have power, you have corruption, you have murder, you have romance, you have, you have a bitter human being by the name of Haman whose scheme that he to, to tear down his enemies backfires that end up catching him by surprise with a twist in the end. I mean, it's this great, great story. And we know if you know anything about the book of Esther that, that Esther was a Jewish woman who was selected by the king of Persia, Xerxes. There was this contest that was held and she was, I mean, she was like the most beautiful. Apparently she had the personality. She was the whole package and the king just fell head over heels in love with her. But Esther was a Jewish woman and nobody knew this except her uncle Mordecai that was part of the inner circle. Of the king. But Haman was bitter. Haman was jealous. And so he begins to concoct this scheme of how to get more powerful because he could not stand Mordecai. He knew that Mordecai was a Jew, but he could not stand that Mordecai was this other person in the inner circle and he wanted that position. And he just, I mean, just the fact that anytime the the king would praise Mordecai, it just ate him up. And he was bitter. And so he comes up with this scheme and this plan. He says, King, he says, there's a group of people in your kingdom. And he didn't even really say who they were at first. He said, they're doing their own thing. They're worshiping their own gods. They have their own ways. They're not giving you the respect they should give you. And so he's prodding and preparing the king to issue a decree where they can rid the kingdom of those people and literally kill them all. What he doesn't realize is that the queen will be part of his plot. And so he prepares and he thinks, and I mean, he's scheming, he's putting this all together, and, and man, he, he couldn't wait to get rid of them. But why was Haman so bitter? A lot of you know the story, but you probably don't know this part. The root of his bitterness comes from an act of disobedience that occurred long before he was born. 1 Samuel 15, God tells King Saul way back before to wipe out all the Amalekites. I mean, they were so evil, he said, wipe out the men, the women, their dogs, their cattle, leave nothing. Wipe them off the face of this earth. And Saul carries it out, mostly. He wanted to give some prizes to some of his key people. And we know that the prizes during that day would have been the women, right? So it turns out that one of the women that he saves the life of was the king's wife, and she's already expecting. And the child that she was expecting was the great-grandfather of Haman. So you see the root of his bitterness? Had, the, had Saul done what he was told, this would not have been a problem. But think of it. He grew up with such a bitter hatred for the Jews because had things transpired the way that if it had been left alone, the kingdom, there was a good chance he would have been king. So there was this root of bitterness that was so deep. And as he did that, and so Haman in his mind, he, he certainly had justification for hating the Jews. And, and, all, and after all, these people had wiped out his whole family. One day he's standing, though, in the presence of the king. And the king begins talking about, Haman, come here. I've got this person in my inner circle that has been so faithful that I want to honor him. I want the whole kingdom to know how much I appreciate him. 
How do you think would be the best way to honor him? Haman, in his mind, thinks he's talking about me. So here's what he says. He says, hey. He said, you know what I really think you should do, king? He goes, you ought to get one of your best robes, a robe that you yourself have worn, and put it on this person. Take one of your finest horses, saddle it up, put that person on that horse. I mean, even put your your royal crest on the horse so that everybody knows. And then have one of your other servants lead them around through the city streets, proclaiming this is a person in whom the king loves and takes great joy and has been faithful throughout all the kingdom. And just herald that to everybody as you walk him through the streets of the square. Haman's like, ooh, this is going to be great. I can just picture Mordecai leading me around on the horse, wearing the king's stuff. The king loves the idea. The king turns around and says, good. I want you to do that for Mordecai. Now, can you imagine Haman having to, the person that he is the most bitter towards, the person that he's literally wanting him and his people to execute it, to be forced to put that royal robe on Mordecai and to sit him on top of the horse with a crest and to lead him around the city, literally having to out loud at the top of his voice proclaim all these great things of the person he's wanting to have killed. See, he was so far along in his scheme that he even had a, a gallows built For Mordecai, as soon as he got the word, he was going to take Mordecai out and he was going to string him up right there. But now he's having to walk through the city. Through a series of events, his plan begins to come unraveled. The queen goes and lets the king know that, that she is of Jewish descent and if he gets his way, she will be killed. Tables begin to turn. And then we read in Esther chapter 7, verse 8. So the king's already boiling. He's already not happy with Haman, and he walks upon this scene. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch of Esther where she was reclining. He was begging for mercy from Esther. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? Long story short, Haman ends up on the gallus that he was building for Mordecai. See, bitterness can take hold of us to the point that that we just lose all sense of reality. What did Jesus say? Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. Wow. See, I'm not saying that hurt isn't real. I'm not saying that things don't happen that are bitter. There are, there are things that, that, that even with what we do that we've had to endure, and I mean nothing like that. But there have been times, there have been things that have said about us that are completely, absolutely not true. But you can't let bitterness get a hold. You have to forgive. You have to move on. You have to live life out that way. Because guess what? Bitterness causes you to plunge the knife into your own heart thinking it's going to kill them. I'm going to say it again. Bitterness causes you to plunge the knife in your own heart thinking it's going to kill them when you're the one that pays the price. See, freedom can only come through forgiveness and humility and a thankful heart. I want to ask our, for some music in the background as we bring this to a close this morning. I am all about 
having a thankful heart. During this season, I love that we live in a nation that has taken the time that says, you know what, we're going to set aside a date on the calendar that we're going to give thanks to our God for the blessings that he has given us throughout the year. And I know that we have come through a very, very most interesting, weird year I've ever experienced in my whole 59 years. But yet, when I look back, there's still so much I can be thankful for. I can't live in comparison. I can't become envious of somebody else. I can't let bitterness, bitterness take root and grow. Because when I do, it robs me of my thankful heart. It robs me of what God wants to do in my life. And I want God's presence so much that I realize Thanksgiving is the ticket into his presence. I can always find something to be thankful for. If nothing else, this is the year God blesses the grandbaby. Life's good. I'm not worried about if I'm going to eat tomorrow or today. I've got so much to be thankful for. I don't have time to let these other things rise up. I can't get caught up comparing myself with somebody else. My job and your job, let me, let me, I want to hit this for just a moment. All we have to worry about is doing what God tells us to do. I don't have to measure up to somebody else. I don't have to have the results that somebody else has. Because all he's going to ask is, what did you do with what I gave you? It's the story of the parable of the talents. It says that he gave each according to their own ability. And they were not called into account on what they did with what somebody else had they were called into account of what they did with that God gave them and as long as they were faithful with what God gave them and they caused it to bear fruit for the kingdom they all got the same words well done good and faithful servant that's all we're responsible for us having a thankful heart. We don't have to measure up to somebody else. We need to tear down those barriers. So this morning, I want you to just for a moment reflect on yourself. Is has somewhere along the line, have you gotten caught up in this idea of comparison? When you, when you try to get into God's presence, you're constantly seeing, well, well, what about them? And what about them over there? If you get caught up in that, it's time to turn that comparison into contentment. Being content with what he's blessed you with. Because as we're thankful and we're faithful with what he's blessed us with, it opens the door for him to do more. Or maybe you're hearing you're envious about some other circumstance, some other situation. You're past contentment now, now you're just flat out envious. That enviousness can be turned into excitement. You know what's one of the most freeing things? When you see God blessing somebody else instead of being envious be excited for them. It's so cool that God's doing that through you. It's okay to say, God, can I be next in line? It's okay. But don't begrudge what God has done in their lives. Or maybe even there's somebody that you know that they're not living a godly life and it just seems like life is going good for them. And you're like, why is it they have things go great and I'm I'm facing these difficulties? Well, guess what? I've read passage after passage of Scripture that says sooner or later their stuff's going to catch up with them. Don't worry about them. Worry about you. Maybe bitterness has creeped in. You know what the 
best counter to that is when you're tempted to be bitter, pray blessing over that person. Lord, bless them. They may be off track. They may be completely off track. But if you're praying for God to bless them, it's okay to also pray, pray, Lord, bring them to the point of repentance where they need to be repent. Don't worry about their relationship with me. I'm worried about their relationship with you. Set that right. Pray blessing on them. That God will bring them to that place where they get it right if they're all the mark. And then all of a sudden they begin to go forward into what God has for them. let us live our lives because if we can all turn our hearts back to a heart of thanksgiving I just envision a cloud of his presence coming and filling this place and we will not be able to have church as normal I'm not going to ask this morning for a show of hands for you to say, oh, I'm struggling with comparison or I'm struggling with envy or I'm struggling with bitterness. That's between you and God. But I'm going to ask them just to take us back into this song and with a thankful heart, if any of these hit you where you are, I challenge you to make it right with God now, this morning. So you can go through this week and you can have your day of thanksgiving with a truly thankful heart. Amen. The altars are open if you want to come and kneel or or whatever you want to do. We're just going to go back into worship for just a moment. Not in any hurry. If you've got something going on, you feel like you've got to leave, then I would just ask that you quietly step out and not get into a discussion in here. But let's keep that atmosphere of worship in here. Let's ask Him to come and to move on our behalf today. Amen. Stand with me. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Feel the rains of Feel the winds of your spirit Now the heartbeat of hell Let us hear Feel the rains of your love Feel the winds of your spirit Now the heartbeat of hell Let us hear Let it rain let it rain Open the floodgates of heaven Let it rain Let it rain Open the floodgates of heaven Feel the rains of your love of your spirit now the heartbeat of heaven let us hear feel the winds of your love feel the winds of your spirit now the heartbeat of heaven let us hear 
let it ring. Open the floodgates of hell. Let it ring. Let it ring. Open the floodgates of hell. thank you this morning for every good thing that you've graced us with. Lord, I pray that we look past the things, the what about them, the, the what ifs, the stuff that functions as barriers in our life. Lord, let us truly have a humble, thankful heart that a holy God would leave heaven and clothe himself in flesh and be crucified on a horrific cross, be laid in the tomb as dead as any of us, but then be raised again on that third day so that we could have right relationship with you and that we could reach out to the God of the heaven and the God of the universe and say, Abba, Father, because we are your adopted children. And Lord, you bless your children. You watch over your children. You care for your children. And there is no weapon that is formed against us that can prosper. And we can walk in your peace. And we can walk in your goodness. And we can know your presence. And Lord, we do not have to walk through life alone. But we know there is someone that comes alongside us that sticks closer than a brother and cares for us and watches over us and leads us and guides and orders our daily steps. Lord, we have nothing to fear because we are children of the living God. So, Lord, let us take thankfulness in that. Lift up our countenance and look to the hills and see where our help comes from. And step over the barriers that are in the way because all they are is just little footfalls. And your Spirit will guide us past every single one if we pursue you and have a thankful heart. Let us be the most thankful people on the planet. And bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us this week. Have a great Thanksgiving. Just a reminder, there will be no activities this Wednesday night to allow people to travel or whatever they need to do. And then the following Wednesday, we'll have a night of worship. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless.